actually have been thinking about necromancy a lot. <laughs> Go okay. with me on this journey. Uh, always. I don't. You don't even have to ask. I'm with you. I know that you know the the whole genre of fiction and dark magic. Mm-hmm. Sometimes with necromancy, sometimes without, has existed for quite a long stretch. But I do feel as if lately people who might not go to that are really just into skeletons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, I, I'm for one, like, I read more books in 2020 than I did the five years previously combined. I really thought for a second you were going to say, I, for one, love a skeleton. <laughs> oh, let me let me take a step back and say something very uh, controversial yet brave. I, for one, love a skeleton. I do love a skull. I do. I really do love a skull. I was going to order a crow skull for a very close friend of mine for her birthday. Is that and I chickened out at the last second. No, it's not you, actually. <laughs> um, but I see that we would not have had this problem. I chickened out at the last second because I was thinking, does this person like skulls aesthetically? Like a plastic skull or a skull vibe? Or are they down for like a skull skull? And that's not the same thing. I guess that's true. I'm just someone who has multiple real skulls in my home. Yeah. So, I mean, between me and Jamie and Tim, at least five or six skulls and a tentacle in a jar. And that's not including the bugs that we have taxidermied. You can't see right now as Rowan's holding up her hand and counting how many skulls she has alone in her bedroom. Yeah, I have five skulls in my bedroom because, mm-hmm. well, I live in an apartment, so I only have two rooms that I can possibly decorate. And, well, okay, so the living room has a crystal skull, which is a full-on real skull covered in crystals, and it looks less intimidating. Mm-hmm. All the real spooky friends there in the bedroom. <laughs> what animal skulls do you have? Um, My current favorite, and it rotates, mm-hmm. you know, we bond, uh, is... The black goat skull that's over my bed. Uh, Ooh, I have yeah. two deer. I have a raccoon or maybe it's a fox. No one really knows because mm-hmm. it. I didn't buy it under the guise that it was a thing. My mother gave it to me and presumably it came from the outside, not from a, a place that acquired it from the outside. Mm-hmm. I painted his teeth gold. I love him. I love that. His name is Reginald. I wanted it to be a different name so badly. And then that name just popped into my head and it stuck. And I've tried to change it multiple times. I I totally, I totally understand that happening of like a name just appearing to you. And you're like, well, this is it. I didn't choose this. Like it feels like a spirit guide slapped that name into your head. And you're like, I guess we're doing it. Yeah, I don't like it. I'm upset, but this is the way it has to be. Yeah. You you found the thing's true name. Instead of being upset about it, you can imagine yourself as like an elf or a fairy and you found its true name. So recently I had to interact with a person outside. Um, okay. During quarantine, you know, we're masked. It's fine. Distance. But I had to interact with a person that I um, – di- um, I didn't like them. Um, so I, on purpose, wore my necklace that I made out of a pig's tooth, which looks intimidatingly like a human tooth. Mm -hmm. 
And I was channeling some Harrow Hark vibes from Gideon the Ninth, if anybody has also read that book. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I was trying to be as intimidating as possible without being mean. I don't want to be mean. Um, And I think I think it worked, the tooth. You are much better at being intimidating than I am, which works well for the two of us because I am incapable of seeming anything other than very sweet. Yes. And... You come in, all you have to do is not smile for 30 seconds, and people are like, she's just got this presence. So we work well as a duo. It's kind of maddening, though, because you can be mad at someone, actively mad at a human, not smiling, and you will still be perceived as the friendly one. Yeah, but then people don't take me seriously. Then I have to sit, instead of be, I I don't get to just yell and be mad. It's always a a goof or a joke. So when I'm genuinely upset, I have to do the dad thing of sitting you down. I mean, like, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Let's talk about, let's talk about how we can improve this behavior in the future. You know, that vibe. No one wants that vibe. We did have a meeting recently that you and I were both in. And I was very concerned that I would be perceived as unfriendly to someone that I really wanted to know that I liked them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm your biggest fan, just so you know. <laughs> I think this is our moment. Hi, mm-hmm. I am Rowan Hall. I, I truly am the unfriendly one. <laughs> and I'm Tracy Harrison. I'm... Your dad, who sits you down to have a chat, champ. Oh, you're not wrong. Ugh. And this is Willing and Fable, the podcast that brings you original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. And if you would like to support us, you can subscribe, leave us a review, find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash willingandfable, check out our merch on our willingandfable.com site, or... You can just continue listening to our episodes. Remember that no matter what you choose, we appreciate you. But we appreciate you more if you call us milady. We do. We do like when you call us milady. Um, what else will we accept? I was going to say uh, your grace. Even though we're we're not duchesses, you can still call us your grace. I will also accept my liege. My liege is always appropriate. I'll accept my lord also. Mm-hmm. When in doubt, honestly, before Milady, unless you're like really leaning hard into the goof of Milady, I'd rather be Milord or Milige. Or, well, now I'm just progressing into deity status. All the other ideas that I'm having are <laughs> above this earthly realm. Hey, that's fine too. And for anyone who is confused, I just want to clarify, we are not advocating for the fedora-wearing, door-holding version of Milady. Tracy and I recently purchased land with Highland (laughs) titles to help save parts of the Scottish Highland. They're doing amazing work. But because of that, we are officially Lady and Lady. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We will also accept Laird. Oh, that is the best one. It is the best one. And only men get it. So we know what? We're taking Laird away from men. We're claiming ownership of Laird. Well, I was going to take my lord originally when we purchased mm-hmm. the title and got our certificate, but my name is a boy's name. And 
I don't identify as a boy. So right. <laughs> my name is also a boy's name. Like we both have names that mm-hmm. can be for men or women. And so we just decided to go with the the lady and lady plot of land. I think that this is probably a good time to say that this is the first inaugural Willing and Fable mini-sode. It is. It is the first official mini-sode. And we, in the last season, did a spontaneous D&D episode in which Tracy and I dropped ourselves as us into the D&D 5e canon and Mm -hmm. wrote a little chapter of adventures we asked all of our patrons if they would like to see that D style story come back and overwhelmingly the response was and i quote heck yes <laughs> but instead of continuing the story with fictional tracy and fictional rowan we wanted to take an opportunity to go a different way with it So, what we decided to do was create all new original characters, and we're going to tell you their story over the course of this season, and frankly, probably future seasons as well. We'll be doing this in our mini-episodes! This is a chance for us to kind of stretch our creative wings, practice some more fun fantasy storytelling, and we're going to be taking turns sharing the adventures of these two characters... But this week, it's my turn to start the story. Hmm. Before we jump into the story, Rowan, why don't you tell us a little bit about your character that you came up with for this story? Well, you and I agreed right off the bat that we did want to continue the adventure of a wizard and a rogue. Mm -hmm. Because that was a really fun dynamic. And (laughs) we also decided to give our characters names that match the first letter of our names. And I really think that that was a practical choice for you and I. (laughs) 100%. I was really insistent that they stay R and T just so that it was clear (laughs) when we were writing and kind of coordinating the story. Yeah, Trace came in hot on that one, and uh, you were not wrong. So my character's name is Rosalind, which... Tracy bestowed upon my character, and I cannot complain. (laughs) I came in and I was like, here's a bunch of R names. Pick one. (laughs) Yeah, but all the rest of them were meh. This was the only one. All other R names. There's only two good R names in the world. No, I'm just kidding. I just... (laughs) (laughs) There's only two good ones. Rowan took them both. They're they're all hers. You can't have them. I just really like Rosalyn, probably because of Shakespeare. I was going to say Romeo and Juliet. Well, also Love Labor's Lost, which oh. has the better Rosaline. I never put that together. Yeah. I God, I hope I said the right Shakespeare play. <laughs> I studied Shakespeare every year of my college degree. I've played that role three times. Then I'm sure you got it right. That's funny. All right. Well, anyway, my character's <laughs> name is Rosalind. She is a rogue. I wanted to go a little dark with it. We wanted to create kind of our own little planet world. Yeah, this is not taking place in Faerun. This has no association with Dungeons and Dragons or Wizard of the Coast. 
<laughs> this is entirely an original world with original characters. And if they bear any resemblance to anything from D&D, that's purely <laughs> coincidental and the reader's imagination. Well done. <laughs> so my character is a rogue. She works for a house that I will not get into, but it, she is an assassin. And um, she's really good at killing and not getting killed. And that's about it. <laughs> those are her only life skills. Sometimes those are the only life skills you need. All right, Tracy, tell me about Thea. All right. So my character, as Rowan said, her name is Thea. So I, I really wanted to keep the idea of the wizard that Rowan created being someone who was too cool for school, literally, and <laughs> dropped out of wizarding school. Don't you love it when you can use literally by definition? Yeah, it is satisfying. Okay, okay sorry. I just had to do that. <laughs> so she um, she's a wizard. She has a very different backstory from Rosalind. It was really fun to kind of play with the yin and yang of these characters as we were coming up with them. So she plays off of Rosalind really well. And I had a lot of fun writing this chapter, introducing these characters to the world. Y'all. Get you a writing partner who, when you have to write an actual thing that has longevity, provides you with a character background outline that you have to fill in. Get you a writing partner who appreciates you sending her 30 questions to answer about her character's backstory. It was helpful because every time we kind of had an idea, both of us went, but go opposite her. <laughs> yeah, play with it more, push it more. And I cannot tell you how helpful it was when writing this chapter because it got into the nitty gritty of what Rosalind's fighting style is. It got into the nitty gritty mm. of what nervous quirks do your characters have? And you'll see all of that appearing in this chapter. And I wouldn't have thought to come up with those on my own. This is the last thing I'll say because I don't want to get in the way of it too much, I guess. But because I haven't heard chapter one. Um, <laughs> But from our outline and some of what we've discussed, I love Thea. She's just, she's my sweet girl. I'm not even <laughs> saying she's sweet. She's just my sweet girl. So funny. I feel that way about Rosalind. I'm like, she is. <laughs> it was, writing Rosalind is so much fun. She's so serious. And I, I, in this chapter, I only really played with the serious side of her. But what my favorite thing about her is the dichotomy of when she's on, she's so serious and she's so good at what she does. And then when she's off, she's like clumsy and awkward and <laughs> confused by what most normal people do. And Thea is kind of the opposite where like Thea can panic in the moment. But when she needs to have really good social graces, she can like charm an entire room without thinking about it. Y'all, there are a couple elements of each of us put into our own characters. <laughs> <laughs> and I am not an assassin, but I do get really clumsy the second that I'm not thinking about my feet. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we, we are more enthusiastic about each other's characters. Shocker. Right. So Tracy, you read chapter one and i'm reading the highlighted things that you put yeah in here. so just so everyone knows i sent rowan a copy of the chapter right before recording and i've highlighted some dialogue for her to read and we will be sharing this chapter with you okay okay chapter one if theo were to list all the ways she thought she might die 
being tortured to death in the secret back room of a tavern while her tea, as though mocking her, calmly chilled on the table, was surprisingly low on the list. For Rosalind, it was number four. Thea had admittedly thought very little about death up until this very moment. She'd imagined it objectively, considered the possibility, then promptly ignored the thought and moved on with her life. Rosalind had spent nearly every waking and more than a few sleeping moments of her life imagining death like an old friend. Thea had known in her infinite and incomparable wisdom that attempting to make a deal with a ganglord might not go her way. She just didn't expect it to go this wrong. She'd walked into the tavern this morning, giving the too tall guard with hands that could definitely crush her skull if they wanted to, the password. It occurred to her that she'd been told the phrase by an only vaguely trustworthy person, but to her surprise, she was promptly ushered into a back room. The tavern was nearly empty after the breakfast rush, so no one saw the pair disappear into the basement of the building and slip behind an innocuous-looking cellar filled with wine, jams, and pickles of all kinds. Okay, so far so good. No one had attempted to beat, strangle, molest, stab, or curse her yet, and that was, frankly, a win. The two tall, two large guards shut the door behind Thea and stood, arms crossed, in front of him as if daring her to make an escape. She gave him a curt nod that she hoped conveyed, You are very intimidating, my muscular friend, and I will not attempt to challenge your authority in this moment. At the very least, she hoped it seemed like a friendly and non-threatening gesture. Ah, there she is, a deep voice called out from the center of the room. And right on time, how very considerate of you, Miss Stone. Please come and sit. The man gestured to the seat across from him at the small, round table in the center of the room. I do so respect punctuality. It tells me that you respect my time as much as I do. (laughs) His wheezing laugh indicated that this was meant to be amusing, which left Thea with a confused smile on her face. Taking her seat, she muttered a vague agreement. Upon closer inspection, he was even more off-putting than she originally realized. He had oily, pockmarked skin, and his hair grew everywhere it seemed it shouldn't, and rarely where it seemed it should. His hairline ran away from his face, his brow was set impossibly far forward, and it all sloped into a hunched and bulbous nose. The hair, which sprung proudly from those wide nostrils, was clamoring to make up for the lack of representation on his head. Through crooked, yellow teeth, he asked, Would you like some tea? But before she could answer, he snapped his fingers to a man standing in the corner. Thomas, would you please bring us two cups of strong black tea? Oh, with whiskey, we'll have a toddy and a plate of those orange biscuits. At this, he winked to Thea as though this were the height of indulgence. Thea had never developed a taste for whiskey. While she could lose herself in a fine wine, the strong amber liquid always sat wrong at her tongue. That sounds perfect, Mr. Mueller. She flashed him what she hoped was a warm smile. Please call me Arnold. Mr. Mueller makes me sound like a god captain or a nobleman with a stick up my own ass. <laughs> At this, he let out a yowling laugh that turned into a fit of coughing by the time he was finished. Arnold Mueller. The least threatening name for the most notorious gang leader in Westfall. As Thea watched him compose himself from his laughing fit, she began to wonder where that tea and more importantly, the man Thomas was. 
Oh, I do love a good jest. However, we are here for business, and we must discuss the final arrangements of our deal. Relieved to be getting down to business, Thea replied. Yes, I would like to... Before she could finish her sentence, Thomas, who had brought over the cups of tea and placed them gently on the table, seemed to slip as he went to place the biscuits. The ceramic plate fell from his hand and landed on the floor with a loud crack, and the cookies crumbled on the stone, sending bits of pastry flying in all directions. Thea noticed the look of dread on Thomas's face before registering the ire on Arnold's. But the gang leader schooled his face into a calm expression before speaking. I asked one simple task of you, Thomas. I did not think it was such a challenge to bring over a plate of biscuits without fucking it up. You are careless, and I have no need for such carelessness in my ranks. Suddenly, Thomas fell to his knees and blubbered out a tear-filled apology. He begged for forgiveness, made his excuses, promised to do better, and every time he spoke, Arnold's face seemed to harden. Finally, the gang leader snapped. Enough! You are embarrassing yourself, and by extension, me, in front of our guest. Now, put your hand on the table... When Thomas hesitated, he repeated the demand. <clears throat> Thomas lifted a shaky hand and laid it flat out on the table in front of Mueller. Arnold laid his own meaty hand over the smaller one, and with surprising swiftness brought his knife down, severing Thomas's pinky finger. The young man let out a shriek of horror and pain as Arnold stepped away. He snapped his hand towards the large man by the door. Take him out of my sight and make sure he learns his lesson. Arnold used his blade to cast the mutilated finger from the table. Then he wiped the knife clean just as quickly as he'd bloodied it. Once Thomas was out of sight and apparently out of Mueller's mind, he looked at Thea with a too wide and too yellow smile. Now then, with that unpleasantness out of the way, <laughs> where were we? Thea was too shocked to reply at first. She hadn't expected such blatant cruelty over a plate of orange biscuits that had, in truth, looked a little dry. Thea found that she could not look at Mueller's face. Her eyes flicked around the room until they landed on a shadow on the wall. A shadow that seemed to be moving without a source of light. Her brow furrowed and her eyes narrowed to get a better sense of what she was looking at. The shadow looked like... A person? Oh shit, it didn't just look like a person, it was a person. A person moving very quickly towards her and the gang leader with two extremely sharp-looking daggers at the ready. The figure wore all black and had a hood over their head and a mask over the bottom half of their face. All Thea could see were the dark green eyes that were staring down Arnold Mueller with an intensity that was, frankly, scary as shit. Oh fuck! was all Thea had time to say before the figure attacked. Rosalind moved silently through the shadows like a deadly viper ready to strike its victim. She'd come here to take out Mueller, and, having made it safely inside, she was merely waiting for the right moment to do so. 
The minute the two guards left the room and it was just Mueller and some woman at the table, she knew this was her chance. She stepped forward out of the darkness as though she were made of the very shadows themselves. Her twin daggers were a comforting and familiar weight in her hands, and she focused on her target. Rosalind eyed that soft, vulnerable spot in his neck where his lifeblood flowed, then moved to hit her mark. But before she could bury the blade in his throat, she was caught off guard. Rosalind was so rarely caught off guard while on the job that she would have found the sensation amusing were it not so terribly inconvenient. The dark-haired woman sitting with Mueller made some strange, indistinct motion with her hands, and suddenly, inexplicably, the ground beneath Rose's feet became slick and wet. Her sturdy, steel-toed boots slipped over the now oil-slicked floor, and before she knew it, she landed flat on her back. There was a pathetic whoosh as the air was kicked out of her lungs for good measure. Rose let out a curse and rolled a few times until she reached a dry spot of flooring. She scrambled to her feet as gracefully as she could manage, which was, admittedly, not very, as she was now covered in this strange grease. She was also very pissed. As far as Rosalind was concerned, this woman was in her way, which meant she was now fair game. A smile played across her lips as she flipped the daggers effortlessly in her hands, tilting her head from side to side to stretch out her neck. So, two against one. Well, that hardly seems fair, she said with a growing smile. Hmm, for you, that is. She immediately regretted those words when just a moment later, the tall guard by the door came rushing in to see what all the noise was about. So now it was two daggers and three people. Not great, but she'd certainly faced worse odds. She was about to flick her wrist and send her right-hand dagger sailing towards the heart of one Arnold Mueller when she was once again caught off guard. Oh no you don't, came the dark-haired woman's voice as a blast of heat burst in front of Rosalind's face and she jumped backwards to avoid being burned alive. Great, apparently this woman was a wizard. Rosalind let out an annoyed huff, shook off the surprise, and took a fighting stance with the daggers in front of her. That's the second time in as many minutes that you've gotten in my way, and trust me, princess, you don't want to get on my bad side. I don't even know who you are. All I know is you're clearly trying to assassinate someone that I very much need alive. (laughs) Then you're really going to hate this. At that, Rosalind faked throwing the dagger with her right hand and... As expected, the wizard tried to block her throw, so Rose ducked under the next blast of fire and sent the dagger in her left hand flying. This one hit home, right in Arnold Mueller's heart. Even in the heat of battle, Rosalind had to take a moment and appreciate the result of her hard years of training. The dagger landed in her target as though he was painted with a giant bullseye, and she'd done it all while sliding under a burst of fire. Even the strictest teacher at the Valise Vare would have to admit to being pretty impressed by that. Her moment of triumph didn't last long, however, as the large man rushed towards her, taking them both to the ground. Well, he would have if she hadn't used his momentum and, at the last second, rolled backwards as she landed. Rose flipped herself over so that she was now on top of the guard, and she pinned him in place with her blade at his throat. To her surprise, he didn't fight her. 
but his hate-filled eyes flicked from her to the woman standing in the center of the room. Rosalind took a good look at her now. She was slightly shorter than average, certainly at least a full head smaller than Rosalind, but given that Rose could stand eye to eye with more than a few men, that didn't say much. The strange woman's dark hair was cropped to just above her shoulders and a blunt fringe fell across her forehead. Her small nose curved up ever so slightly at the end and, combined with the round face and wide eyes, it gave her a slightly pixie-like appearance. You bitch, you did this, you ratted us out, growled the guard furiously. What? Thea answered in shock. No, I didn't. I don't even know who this person is or why she's here. I swear by the seven hells and all that is holy that I have nothing to do with this. He spat at her. You lie. We will get our revenge. We will not... What you will not do is keep talking. Rosalind snapped. Honestly, you must think yourself so clever for connecting the dots like that. One woman must surely be the cause of another. We couldn't possibly be unrelated. No wonder you're just a henchman. You can't even see the answer when it's sitting on your chest with a dagger at your throat. I'm here to tell you that the House of Shadows sends its regards. A trickle of blood ran down the side of his neck, but the guard was finally, blessedly, silent. Rosalind noticed, out of the corner of her eye, the other woman starting to back away very slowly, as though if she moved quietly enough, Rosalind wouldn't realize that she'd left. It was unfortunate, really, for all three of them, that the city guard chose that exact moment to burst through the wooden door. Rosalind didn't have time to ask the question she'd intended to. Thea didn't get the chance to escape. And the guard didn't get the chance to be not murdered. Rosalind dragged the dagger across his throat, giving him a quicker death than she suspected he deserved, and leapt off of him before the first of the city watch made it through the door. While Rosalind melted into the shadows, Thea stood stupidly in the center of the room, feeling as though she might as well have a giant spotlight on her. The guards rushed in towards her and started asking a thousand questions all at once. They asked where Mueller was, and once they noticed his body, asked Theo what she'd done to him. They asked where his men were, where the shipment was, who was she, what did she know, all while pointing very sharp, very polished blades at her chest. I don't know anything, Thea finally got out once they gave her a second to actually speak. I was asked to come to this room yesterday after having a drink at the tavern. I didn't know who this man was or why he wanted me here, she lied. When I got here, this woman appeared and attacked us. She ran that way just after you came in. Thea pointed in the direction she'd seen the woman disappear and hoped that the guards would investigate. I thought I saw someone else when we first entered, Captain, said one of the guards. There were four members of the watch here in total, and at the gesture of the man who was, apparently, the captain, three of them peeled off towards the shadows. You'd better not be lying, he threatened Theo with his blade pointed towards her chest. And you better be as good at capturing people as you think you are, Thea thought, then ultimately decided it was better to keep that thought to herself and remain quiet. Did you kill these men? the captain asked. Thea didn't answer. Do you work for Mueller? Silence. Do you know when the shipment is coming in? 
deafening silence. Are you going to answer any of my questions, or will I have to force the answers out of you? I'd prefer if you didn't. The loud crack of his hand across her face echoed around the room like thunder. Thea's teeth cut into her cheek at the impact, and she spat out blood onto the ground. She was only slightly satisfied to see the guard visibly disgusted as some landed on his polished shoes. Before he could say or do anything else, one of the other guards came back in, dragging the very angry woman clapped in irons. We... we got her, Captain, he said breathlessly. She got Roswell in the thigh with a dagger and knocked Tully unconscious, but we got her. The woman, with her hands shackled in front of her, glared at Thea with a look that made Thea very glad that looks could not kill. Well then, the captain replied. I suppose we'll just have to continue this conversation in your cell. And that was how Thea Stone and Rosalind Morley came to be chained up next to one another in a damp cell in the center of Westfall, and against all odds, sharing the same goal. To get themselves the hell out of there. Yo, Thea, snitches get stitches, my girl. <laughs> I know, I know. It was it was tough to write that. Uh, it was tough to write Thea snitching, but she'd have no reason to protect Rosalind after Rosalind just screwed over the deal she was trying to make and then essentially had her framed for it. Okay, let's back up for a second. You, Tracy Harrison, are a shady lady throwing <laughs> all of those lines at me and then revealing mid-script that our main characters are British. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I didn't think to ask you about it beforehand, but it just feels cooler when your fantasy characters have British accents. And you're a trained actor, so if I can do it. <laughs> All right, you're fired. I'm looking All for right. a new podcast partner. I have no power. I if don't anyone know how wants this is to uh, join Rowan as a podcast partner, you can just <laughs> send her an email at, <laughs> at www.beherpodcastpartner.com. Well, thank God Mueller's dead, because I have no idea what his voice is. <laughs> it was, his voice was exactly the perfect voice for Arnold Mueller. See, that's my interpretation of voices, especially when I'm playing D&D. I'm not doing a bad French accent. I'm doing a perfect accent for where my character's from. Right. Okay. Cool. Cool. Mm -hmm. Well, Rosalind's accent was perfect for what she was feeling in chapter one, but by chapter two, it could be different. <laughs> It could be, and it's allowed. <laughs> this is a living, breathing story, everyone. That was my first time hearing this chapter, so I want to ask a couple questions because I can. Okay. <laughs> okay. Because normally when you're reading, you don't get to pick the author's brain, but mm -hmm. why not? I really like that you planted them right in the middle of this classic trope. <laughs> of yeah. kind of it was the where were you on the night of the 14th but criminal edition mm -hmm. the one room the one table <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah i guess if i want to know what the backstory on how thea got there is i have to write it right that that's now on me it depends on if it's revealed in an even or odd numbered chapter <laughs> mm mhm mm mhm mm <laughs> 
<laughs> but if you want to, if it works out in your story and you're feeling that vibe, this is sort of like a everyone. This is a yes and style of storytelling. We came up right. with our characters' backstories. We came up with their quirks and their personality, and now it's like whatever I write, Rowan has to go with. Right, same thing. Like I gave Rowan, they're in a cell with an asshole guard. Thank goodness, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I thought you'd enjoy that. I do really love that you manifested Rosalind's need to be snappy while she's murdering. (laughs) (laughs) Because that was in my head and you just... I felt the energy. It was so... It's so fun when you get to write and you can like... The characters speak to you. You're like, you know, you're (laughs) you're just translating for them. I felt from Rosalind this energy of... The attention isn't on me, and I'm the one with a dagger at his throat. So can we just bring it back, please? (laughs) (laughs) I also love this energy of Thea going, oh, hell, this situation's awful. I'm a wizard. And Rosalind going, oh, hell, there's a wizard. This situation is awful. (laughs) Yes. I also really wanted to emphasize Rosalind's competence and her ability to kind of think on her feet and see the situation around her, um, which is why I really needed her to succeed in the end at what she was trying to do. And Thea just Mm -hmm. kind of panicking, not seeing more than one step ahead and just throwing out a firebomb. And like Rosalind's ability to quickly figure out Thea and then think three steps ahead. Yeah, I think we talked a little bit about their kind of contrary ways of operating and how that will affect them later on Mm -hmm. the thing that i like about thea that you showed us is that yeah she's panicking but she gets to panic with a fireball yes so her panic (laughs) is a bit more effective Mm -hmm. than some people's yes and she doesn't just freeze and do nothing she's not helpless but she's not making very helpful choices i feel bad now that i said she's a sweet girl before you started the chapter she's a sweet girl though Compared to Roslyn. Well, yeah, but compared to an assassin, everyone's mm-hmm. a sweet girl. I There's nothing in this chapter that necessarily made her a su- canonically sweet girl. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> she's just, she's just doing her best. She's just <laughs> doing her best. That's all she's doing. I feel as if... <laughs> I feel as if Thea is, I'm so sorry, I feel as if she's a goldfish that's in a shark (laughs) costume going, I'm a shark, I'm a shark, I'm a shark, and all the other sharks (laughs) are saying, no, you're not. No, you are not. And then when she gets apprised to the fact that other people are in form, she goes, okay, well, I might not be a shark, but I'm a goldfish with fire. <laughs> I think that's my favorite analogy anyone's ever made. Like, not just on this podcast, I mean, ever. I'm a shark, I'm a shark, I'm a shark. <laughs> She's not a shark. She's a goldfish with fire. <laughs> <laughs> so, it looks like you gave us a couple questions. Which I also have not read before this moment. No, it's fine. You can you can read over them, ask whatever you're excited about. I can ask you the ones I'm excited to hear your thoughts on. I kind of picked questions that either of us could answer, and whatever we geek out on, we geek out on. We have this interesting dynamic 
on the podcast where no matter how much pre-prep you and I do, no matter how much planning, you always do the thing first. Mostly because of time zones, I think. Yeah. You just you have three hours ahead on me. Mm-hmm. So I have the advantage of getting to see what you've done and mm-hmm. then build on that. And um I am coming for you next week, my dude. <laughs> <laughs> there there are gonna be beautiful pieces of dialogue. Do you mean next mini-sode? Not next week, next mini-sode. Right, I do mean next mini-sode, and by coming for you, I mean I'm going to try to rise to the occasion. Uh, (laughs) You will definitely rise to the occasion. You are. I'm so excited to see where you take these characters. But that leads to my first question of, what is your favorite thing about either one of these characters, and what do you hope our listeners will get to see from them over the course of their adventure? Well, my favorite thing about Thea is that she's a panicky goldfish with fire, clearly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Also, Thea's just so indignant. Mm-hmm. No one knows that yet, and I, I guess we could play it cool and not reveal that, but she just is. Yeah. She does not love authority in a very different way from Rosalind, who who weirdly deep down has like this need to please authority, which I also kind of love. But it's only specific authority that Rosalind really wants to please. Yeah, I don't know that she is emotionally aware of the fact that by trying to please the authority figure, she is participating in the game that she would very much like to subvert. Mm -hmm. Being sassy is not the same thing as subverting the rules. Yes. Yes. It reminds me of, I know this is a very silly analogy, but or comparison, for anyone who's seen the show Supernatural, which, oh, wow, I can't believe that show ended uh, ended at season six and just finished and wrapped up, and it was, it was good, definitely ended. But in that show, the character that goes to law school and studies and leaves is the bad son, as opposed to the one who cherishes, cherishes his first sawed-off shotgun. That's like the good son, because in the world they're brought up in, they're hunting these creatures and these these demons and ghosts and all of this stuff. And in that world, what we would see as being the perfect child is like the worst child. And so it kind of reminds me of these characters of in the world that Rosalind's brought up in, giving a city guard the middle finger and stabbing someone simultaneously makes you a very well-behaved kid. Right. My other question for you, since we did so mm-hmm. much backstory on these characters, what is something that you do that your character also does? You first. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote some little quirks of um, tapping her fingers on tables when she's nervous or especially um, rubbing her thumb and pointer finger together. That's a weird thing I do when I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I wanted to include that because I think those are the really little consistent quirks that make characters feel really human. And it's a human thing that I do. I would also say that your competency when stressed is high. It is to be feared by anyone that should cross (laughs) you. I'm joking, but you are very competent in a high stakes situation. Thank you. I just don't have any fireballs. You have the fireball of your intelligence. Ooh, ooh, her. Look at her. Ooh, who is she? 
What is something that I do that Rosalind also does? Hmm. I would say that we both definitely value sass pretty highly. Mm hmm. I also. Can I answer it for you? I have, I have a theory. I think something that Rosalind does that you do is when you have a goal, when you have a thing that you've been tasked to do, whether that's by yourself or someone else, your whole focus zeroes in on completing that thing as perfectly as you can. Now, hers is killing people. Yours is work. But <laughs> I do think that's a personality trait that both of you share, which is just that really driven sense of when I'm in the zone, when I have something to do, literally nothing can get in my way. It is. It does make for an interesting dynamic on the podcast. It is fairly often that Tracy will go, but does it need to be that perfect? And I go, but <laughs> wouldn't it be nice if it was perfect down to the molecule? And I go, <laughs> do we need to spend 10 extra hours on it or can it be done now? We kind of walk that line. Uh, Tracy keeps me from staying up until all hours working on something, which is very good. Yeah, and it's good because Rowan keeps me from sending out half-finished emails. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I have a question. Now that we are getting to write a story that is not a, a myth or a legend that already exists or history mm -hmm. that we're trying to retell, what's your favorite part? Mm. By far, I love building out worlds that you can just sink into. You know that feeling when you're watching a show or you're reading a book and you break away from it and you feel as though you're still half in that world or, you know, 90% of your personality is now the main character of whatever you were just experiencing? <laughs> is this who I am or did I just read this in a book? <laughs> Honestly, my entire existence these days. <laughs> so uh, that's been my favorite part is really trying to create this vibrant world that gets to persist for more than just 20 minutes of an episode. It really gets to be this thing that's living and breathing and changing. And we get to break the rules and make it whatever we want. And I want to create this world that you want to lay in bed and just think about. That's for me, my favorite part of storytelling. You are the person that I play D&D with that will go really in detail on a character sheet, which I really appreciate. I think you and I are very RP focused mm -hmm. when we actually play Dungeons and Dragons, which this is not. <laughs> the thing that I think will make this project both easier and more fun is that you tend to be more plot focused and I tend to be more character focused. Mm -hmm. And that'll be a really nice balance. Yes. I hope. It's my hope. Yeah, you I, I agree. I I love I love character focused things, but I think I get really stuck on, well, if we're telling a story, we have to figure out what story we're telling. Rowan, where does it start? Where's the middle? Where's the end? Who's the antagonist? Who is the protagonist? Where are they starting with? And Rowan's like, so here's a tragic backstory we could do, or we could do this thing. Oh, I could break the characters this way. <laughs> <laughs> 
We had a very exciting call where Tracy rang me up while I was in Kohl's trying to find something that I couldn't find anywhere else. Kohl's didn't even have it. Sorry, Kohl's. And I looked like a crazy person because I was walking around with my headphones in talking about murder. (laughs) Why did you want to make Athea? Why did you want to make Athea the way that she is? Like, because she's a very specific human. You, yeah. Basically, the only prompt was wizard with a name that starts it with T. <laughs> I was really, truly inspired by Rowan's version of Tracy Me in our other D&D episode. I really liked that character. I liked that combo of being really smart but almost too good for where she was. And I liked to include the idea of being a little bit ashamed of of walking away from her problems and not finishing school so it was a really easy starting point for Thea but then as a as we started writing this and I was thinking about that version of Tracy it felt so the the more I explored what that character could be the less it felt like it was me oh yeah it felt like it was a whole other person a whole other character and so that's why i came in and said these have to be their own characters it's doing them a disservice to pretend that they're us when they are so it was already so clear to me they were so real and not they were their own people and so i i that's where i wanted to make thea her own character when we were creating the characters i could not sleep one night and i definitely spent two hours researching elvish translations for words that will not matter in this story for so long Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) yep i i rowan knows this i wrote i just was having fun and thinking through things and i wrote a whole chapter and i was that that won't if we even use that chapter is like mid to end of story it just has nothing to do with the beginning of the story yeah we're only on chapter one we're in chapter one. We did it. That was chapter one of our story of Thea and Roslyn. I really want to ask you what the title of the book is, just to be a, a son of a gun, but that's The title mean. is, This is Not Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I hope this odd little mini-sode has been fun for everyone, because it most certainly is fun for us. Mm-hmm. And it has to be fun for you guys for at least one more chapter because I really am excited. <laughs> and that won't be appearing for for a minute, I think. Mm-hmm. If we if we hear from you guys that you're really, really into these, we can possibly look into doing them more. But you, you'd have to be very vocal with us and be very excited. Otherwise, it's just spice. <laughs> yes. In the meantime... Tracy, tell Mm -hmm. me something good. Okay. My something good is actually recently, and by recently I mean a mere few hours ago, a few of my friends convinced me to try, and I'm going to preface this with, I doubt I will get very into League of Legends. Hmm. Okay. So it's a game that uh, most of our listeners probably have heard of. But just in case. League of Legends is what's known as a MOBA. It's a multiplayer online battle arena game. So you play on a team of, typically you play on a team of five against another team. 
It's really complex. There's all these rules about lanes and tanks and 80 carries and I only played a little bit of it and really I only played it because I wanted to hang out with my friends and they all play it. The number of things that I do just to hang out with my friends. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it was cool and it's it's it was cool to learn a new thing and it was really really nice of them to all play on a super easy bot game just to teach me and they were so excited to teach me and it just reminded me of how how lovely my friends are and how nice it is to do things with friends, especially when they're just being really fun about it and they're just being really relaxed and goofing. So that's my something good. I played League of Legends. I don't know if I'll keep it up. MOBAs aren't my thing. I just really wanted to hang out with friends. <laughs> hey, it works. We can't always sit on Zoom calls, unfortunately. Yeah. Although I do that a lot and it is lovely and it's how I spend a lot of time with Rowan. I'm so excited for our Friday Zoom call. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rowan. Yes. Why don't, you, uh, why don't you go ahead and tell me something good? I know that this is very early pandemic. Anyone who hears this is probably going to go, I did that a year ago. But... Are you, are you baking bread? No, actually. Oh, okay. I right. have no interest in bread. Because bread without gluten is pretty lackluster. <laughs> I bleach dyed a pair of black jeans. Oh, excellent. Yes. You know I love a good bleach dye. I want to start doing that bleach painting thing. <gasps> oh, my God. So, okay, everyone, she just showed them to me. And what she didn't highlight to you is that she didn't, she didn't do no weak ass. Kind of a little <laughs> bit of bleach dyeing. She didn't do some splashes here and there. Those suckers are every shade from black to pink to orange to white. They look amazing. I put so much bleach on these pants that a mommy blogger would be like, yo, your pants are going to disintegrate. And that's fine with me. <laughs> I don't care. I wasn't using these pants anyway. And my whole bathroom is going to smell like bleach for a year. Yeah. But the amount of serotonin I got from banding up my jeans with too many rubber bands mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just tossing them and leaving them alone for three hours. I, I did almost nothing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It was so satisfying. It's so satisfying. I have a couple of bleach dyed t-shirts. I actually have three bleach dyed t-shirts, um, only two of which I bleach dyed. One was a gift given to me already bleach dyed. But next day I want to do pants. And I, I did it during the summer, which meant I could lay them out in the sun, which helped them, mm. which helped them dry. But it, there is approximately one and a half feet of snow on my porch now. So don't brag. Ugh, don't brag. I've been snowed in. Although, what was I going to do? Leave? I want to be snowed in. I want to be snowed into your house. You guys have so much tea. You yes. have so much tea. I have <laughs> so much tea. Yeah, just curl up with Lola. She's mm -hmm. not interested in me, but I'll make her be. <laughs> oh, she's always interested. She's, she's absolutely interested in whoever the newest person in the room is. So you're going to come in, have some tea, curl up, hang out with the cat. I'll put a fire on in the fireplace. There'll be snow falling outside. It'll be lovely. 
Plus, you got that big TV in your room now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll just, you'll just walk into your bedroom and be like, ah, Rowan. And I will be curled <laughs> up there with your cat and your tea in your mug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Smuggling like, hi, nice to see ya. Ready for a snow day? <laughs> That's the dream. Everyone, go and live your dream. Go and live your snow day dream. We have gotten to the point that we are manufacturing daydreams of something good. So I hope you guys go off. You do something good in real life. Do something good in your fictional life, too. (laughs) And thank you so much for listening. And remember, stories grow with the telling. So if you like what we do, tell a friend. Mm, Or tell a foe. And we'll see you soon, okay? Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our music was written and performed by Taylor Ash, and our logo is by Jamie Harrison. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes, or find us at Willing and Fable on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of ancient myths, local legends, and stories with staying power.